0: reading from the new book today with God, Sister White's writings, on page 286. Our lifetime is precious, and every action should be considered. Now this requires constant vigilance and consciousness, awareness. It means that our minds have to be filled with the mind of Christ, or we can't do this, we can't be sensible and conscious of every action, or most of our actions are, are automatic, they're habitual. This is the terrible part that bad habit plays in the lives of human beings, that we say things and do things that we're really not conscious of because we're habituated to saying them and doing them. And the only way <clears throat> the only way we can get out of this rut or well, that is what it is it's a mental rut is to have our minds stayed upon god and have the holy spirit controlling our minds and then when we go to speak we'll be very conscious of the fact that we're speaking and we'll be on our guard as to how we speak and what we speak, and as to what we think. Our lifetime is precious. I see millions uh, are not aware of this fact. Through the ages, have been billions that are not aware of this fact, that our lifetime is precious. Sama says says it's like a flower that withers, like the grass that withers. And he uses many figures of speech that show that it passes very quickly. When you're young, you don't think of the passing of time. It's so slow. You want it to pass faster so you can attain to your majority or you can get what you want. You can get a driver's license or you can do this or you can do something else that you want to do. And time seems to go so slowly. But when you get a little older, then time begins to go too fast. You get in your 30s, you'd like it to stay right there. But it's still going, and it's going faster. And you get up to the 40s, and it's going faster. In the 50s, it's going faster. In the 60s, it's speeded up faster. Time is very short. You look back then 60 years, and it just seems like yesterday. You can see all the pattern of your your behavior in those days, and you marvel at it all. It all seems so strange that uh, if you weren't a Christian, seems so strange that human beings could change so much from what they were then. As a matter of fact, you look with horror on a lot of it. This is how far God has brought us. The process of sanctification has accomplished that much. Uh, the psalmist, Cries out to the Lord in the 25th chapters we read this morning uh, to forgive him for the sins of his youth. This is what we need to think about. A lot of people don't think about that. They become Christians and they don't worry about the sins of their youth. But they need to have God forgive them and cleanse them from them and all the sins along the way folded in. Every action should be considered. To every man is given his work, and man is accountable to God for how that work is done. This is a solemn thought. Everyone has his work. Most people don't realize this. They stumble and bungle around trying to find some niche into which to fit in life. The reason for that is that they have not identified themselves so closely with God that they can hear God speaking to them, uh, this is the way, walk ye in it. Get up and get out of the Ur of the Chaldees, Go up to the mount and sacrifice your son, or whatever it may be. Can't hear it because of the desires and the interests and the ideas that are in our own minds. Most people would have no trouble knowing what their work is If they were talking to God about it and man is accountable to God for how that work is done so everyone must find his work and then remember that he's accountable to God for how it is done each period of life this impressed me each period of life brings with the passing years some special opportunities for work, and as I reviewed my my years, I could see how true this is. At a different periods, different times, there was different work to do, and if I did the work, well, that was that was fine. If I didn't do the work, I lost my opportunity to do it, and somebody else had to do it, or if I failed in it. Yes, each period of life brings with the passing years some special opportunities for work. Now, you know what a lot of poor folk do uh, when they're uh, at a certain period in life and they're at a certain work that they don't particularly fancy. They're looking ahead uh, to greener fields, better opportunities, more compatible Opportunity, more compatible work, instead of concentrating just upon this one thing and making the most of it. This is human nature, and this is what uh, causes so many feet to go astray, hunting for something that God hasn't uh, given, hasn't assigned. And each advancing year must be improved to the very best of human capability. And this is from In Heavenly Places, page 148. Let us not spare ourselves, but carry forward in earnest the work of reform that must be done in our lives. Let us crucify self. Unholy habits will clamor for the mastery, but in the name and through the power of Jesus we may conquer. To him who daily seeks to keep his heart with all diligence, the promise is given. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God Himself is the justifier of Him which believeth in Jesus, and whom He justified, them He also glorified. All right, let us kneel now. Sister Anderson, you pray for us, please. Dear loving Heavenly Father, we thank You for Thy many blessings. We thank You for the opportunity to
1: worship Thee, to study and know more of Thy Word on this Thy holy Sabbath day. We pray that. Blessing and the presence of thy Holy Spirit to impress these things on our hearts. Remember those of like precious faith who are gathered together to study thy word also, that they may benefit too for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. And
0: now we're going to study from Hebrews, the fourth chapter, beginning with verse 1 and down through verse 11. Let us therefore fear lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith, in them that heard it. For we which have believed do enter into rest, as he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise. And God did rest the seventh day from all his works. And in this place again, if they shall enter into my rest, seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief. Again, He limiteth a certain day, saying in David, Today, after so long a time, as it is said, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. For if Jesus, and the margin says Joshua, for Jesus means Joshua and vice versa, for if if Jesus had given them rest, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day? Now we've come to something else. Let me read this. For if Joshua had given them rest, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day? So if the Sabbath keeping, or if their Sabbath keeping, had constituted the rest that God was speaking about, then as it says here, he would not have given them another day. So there's two rest days involved in this chapter. God's rest day and man's rest day. Now back to verse 2 for a moment. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. Now that them were those who he is speaking about that entered not in ancient Israel. The us are those of us in the Christian era. Now verse 9. <coughs> uh, there remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. Now the people of God are Sabbath keepers. So, this makes it very clear that the rest spoken of in verse 9 is not Sabbath-keeping. For he that is entered into his rest, that is his own rest, he also hath ceased from his own works, as God did from his. And this makes it very clear that God entered into his work. He worked one day and finished his work. He worked the second day and finished that work. And he worked right through six days, right? And he finished all his work in six days. I said to man that he was to do the same thing. He was to work and finish all his work in six days and then rest on the seventh. But that wasn't man's rest day. Whose rest day was that? God. The God's rest day. That was God's day because... He had worked, so then he could rest. Now, God permitted man, in fact, commanded man to rest upon that day as a memorial, not because it was his own day and he was resting from his own work. As a matter of fact, man's work, as the message makes clear, had just begun at that time. God commanded man to do something. And until he had finished doing what God commanded him, then he couldn't rest. His work wasn't over. Or, as the message says, that really man's work was an extension of creation. Creation was not complete on the sixth day. God's part of creation was complete. But God had saved part of the work of creation for man to do. What was that? That he was was to multiply and replenish the earth. Now, had Adam and Eve not sinned, then every child that uh, was to be born would be a saint. So when they got up to a thousand people on earth, there would be a thousand saints. When they got up to 10,000, there would be 10,000 saints. Now, we don't know what number God had. We don't know that. He's never told us the number. But in this circle that I am drawing with my finger, there's a certain number that God had from the beginning. And when that number is reached, then it's all going to end. So that's all the people that this earth can accommodate. I think of uh, the, um, the printing press down there in the print shop. You set your number. Say he wants 5,000 copies, he sets 5,000. And then as the press turns them off, they'll come up 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, 4,999, and then 5,000, it'll stop. that's it. You got your number. Now that's the same way it was a god in this circle. He put the number. And now man has been working towards that number. But the sad part of it is that instead of every one that was born being a righteous one, most of those that are born have been unrighteous ones. So he told Eve that uh, she would bring forth in sorrow. What would be multiplied? The conception would be multiplied. Now you can see why. That instead of bringing forth two sons, both to live, and make a part of this number in the circle up here, only one of them was to be part of that number. This one wasn't. Now what if the earth had a billion of these people on it? The earth would still be empty, because not a one of those were going to be saved. And Adam and Eve's work of replenishing the earth would not have been accomplished by having a billion canes on earth. And only one Abel, right? So, since there was uh, more canes born than Abel's born through the race, the human race, time has had to go on and on and on. And this is why time has lengthened out as long as it has. Had it not been for this fact, God looking down through the ages seeing that, uh, it was going to take this long, he would have made it 2,000 years, or 1,000 years, or 500 years, or shorter than that. But since God, looking from back here in eternity, down here to the end of time, saw how many it was going to take, that is, how many were going to be born, how many were going to take to make up this number, that this original number that he had for earth. The, the number that can people earth. So, time has gone on and on. <clears throat> and now, we're down here close to the end of 6,000 years and people wonder. All Christians are beginning to wonder and a lot of worldlings are beginning to wonder for they know what the Bible teaches. A lot of worldlings know that the Bible teaches uh, that uh, that they're going to uh, be a second coming of Christ, and that's all, that probation is going to close. And many Adventists who are worldlings know that the Spirit of Prophecy teaches it'll be 6,000 years. And many Davidians know that the rod confirms that and says it'll be 6,000 years. And we're close to the end of that 6,000 year period according to the chronology of the Bible. So many are uncomfortable Many are wondering. Many are hoping that probably it won't be so, because they know they're not ready. Well now, we've got 19 years left, no, 21 years left in this century, right? Yeah. 21 years, that's a mighty short time, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Mighty short time. Now, the question is, is whether it's going to end exactly, when it's 6,000 years, or whether it'll go to 6, 5, or or whether it'll, um, I don't mean that, you know, six five, or whether it'll be 595, according to uh, our reckoning, we don't know, for the reason that chronologies overlap. <laughs> Men think that, that the chronologies in the Bible are absolute, so they figure it out how long it'll be, but they're not, and this is why we have variant chronologies. One leading chronologist has it one way, and another has it another way, and they 30-odd years apart. And uh, these, are, uh, these men lived in uh, time past. Uh, modern chronologists still differ even more. So we don't know from the chronology of the Bible how long we have yet to go. <clears throat> Could be that it would be uh, 1990 because of the discrepancy in the chronology. Could be that it'll be 2020. But it can't go on forever and ever. They say, give us 50 years one way or another. Well, it can't be 50 years this way, can it? Because we've only got 21 left. Mm-hmm. Well, it could be 50 years the other way. Say there's a 50-year discrepancy there. All well, right, take 21 from 50, we'll give you 30 on the other side. I'm not saying that it's going to be. Don't misunderstand me. Well, I'm just saying we're reasoning that if it, if there's a 50-year discrepancy in chronology here, that God's covered up so man can't set time, that's why he's done it, then we don't know how many years is going to go on the other side of the clock, on the other side of 6,000. So, uh, as the Lord has said, be ye ready, right? Be ye ready. All right, now coming down to verse 10. For he that is entered into his rest, he also has ceased from his own work. God did from his. This is reasonable. Right? Very reasonable. That if you have finished your work, then it's time to rest. But if you haven't finished your work, then it's not time to rest. God finished his work, it was time to rest. Verse 11. Let us labor therefore, you hear this? Let us labor therefore to enter into that rest. We can't be the Sabbath because we're already keeping the Sabbath. I think this ought to be uh, manifest to everybody that the Sabbath has no connection with this rest. Well, let me put it this way. The only connection that Sabbath keeping has with this rest is that those who enter into this rest are going to have to be Sabbath keepers. That's the only connection it has, the only relationship. All right, now I want to come back to um, verse 8. For if Jesus had given them rest, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day? you see how intensely logical this is? Paul uh, had it lined up exactly right. That if God had given them rest back there, then he would not have spoken of another day. Verse 9, There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. Now, uh, Adventists don't believe this. They, they twist it all up, make it all one, in spite of the fact that it's so clear that it's not one. But you ask most any Adventist that doesn't know too much about it, and uh, he'll make it one, and most of the ministers will too, even though they know that it's illogical. Verse 10, For he that is entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works as God did from his. Now let us review just a moment. What was God's work? The six days of creation. Now, what is man's work? To extend that creation as far as God told him to. Now, How far did he tell him to extend that creation? He told him to replenish the earth, to multiply and replenish the earth. Now, he hasn't done that yet. He's multiplied all right. But he hasn't replenished the earth. Now to replenish the earth was to reach that number in this circle that God has set. Now volume five of the testimonies tell us that that God has a number, and when that number is reached, then the curtain will come down. Are you all aware of this? Do you know this? Maybe I'll read to you what Volume 5 says here. There are two or three statements I'm going to read but one. This is Volume 5, page 209, Paragraph 2. Now, it's just the paragraph before the one that you're familiar with about the little company standing in the light. The crisis is fast approaching. The crisis is fast approaching. Not a crisis, but this is the great crisis. The rapidly swelling figures show that the time for God's visitation has about come. What are these figures? We don't know what they are. It's that number that God has set from the beginning, from time immemorial, whether it's um, a billion or whether it's a half billion or what, we don't know. Now you add 144,000 to an innumerable multitude plus all the resurrected of all ages, you're going to get quite a company, aren't you? So maybe it's over a billion. But compare that number with the number who have have been born into this world and died as sinners. Compare the latter uh, to this one. And then you see that there are few, very few in comparison. Taken by itself, it's a great number, but compared with the number who have been born and died in sin, it's a small number because the majority who have been born and die born into this world have died as sinners. And thus woman's conception was multiplied and she brought forth in sorrow to see her children come and die as sinners. The crisis is fast approaching. The rapidly swelling figures show but the time for God's visitation has about come. It tempts me to read this statement over here in 426 of, of volume 6. What does it say that the time is about come? What time is about come? Uh, yeah, the time of their visitation. Then it says a little further down God will shelter his people in the day of visitation. What will God do? Uh, shelter His people. Now, what about those that are not His people? What will He do in the day of visitation? Can't shelter them, can He? Now, this statement Oh, how few know the time of their visitation. What about these people? He can't shelter these, and these are read right in the church. Oh, how, well, in the world, too. Oh, how few know the time of their visitation? How few, even among those who claim to believe present truth? Now these are in the church. Understand the signs of the times or what we are to experience before the end. Well you can see now that the day of visitation is timed. It's timed to the figures and when that last figure rolls up, that's it. You, you know these clocks that we have now, the, the figures keep rolling up one after another. Nine, Nine one, nine two, nine three, nine four, nine five. And pretty soon is around to 10. 10-1, ten, and around to 11. This is the way it is on God's clock. This is what's happening. The figures you see are rolling around. Now, I think we have, have it clear in our minds what God's work was, in contradistinction to what man's work was to be. I want to take you to the 28th chapter of Isaiah. I will begin with the with the um, ninth verse. Well, maybe I'll go on back to the seventh verse. But they also have earth <coughs> through wine and through strong drink are out of the way. Now this is not the wine of the grape, this is the wine of the of the preacher. This is the wine that is doctrine. This is the wine that's in that cup, in the woman's hand. Revelation 17. They have erred through wine and through strong drink are out of the way. The priest and the prophet have erred through strong drink. They are swallowed up of wine. They're out of the way through strong drink. They are in vision. they stumble in judgment. Now, in the type, we're not to say that they weren't drinking. They may have been drinking and may have been drunk and thus have heard in vision. But this is a prophecy projecting itself down here to this time, all of it is. For all tables are full of vomit and filthiness, so that there is no place clean. Now you know that this is figurative. <laughs> Nobody ever put vomit on his table to serve to others. So, so this is the figurative language here. Whom shall he teach knowledge? And whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Then that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast. For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little for with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people to whom he said this is the rest wherewith ye may cause the weary to rest and this is the refreshing yet they would not hear but the word of the lord was unto them precept upon precept precept upon precept line upon line line upon line here a little and there a little That they might go and fall backward and be broken and snared and taken." Now, up above in verse 9, no, in verse 10, it didn't say what it says here at the end of verse 13. Why do you think? In verse 10, it simply said how you were to study, Precept upon precept, precept upon precept. But in repeating it in verse thirteen, God added something. The word of the Lord. He said, even though they wouldn't hear, the word of the Lord was was to continue to be unto them, precept upon precept, and line upon line, that they might go and fall backward and be broken and snared and taken. Now, when He introduced this subject. The message was being sounded to them. And so the Lord didn't say this. But after they rejected the message, then what does he say? Yes. Uh, go ahead and, and let them hear it, whether they will hear or whether they will forbear. You see? Now he said, this is the rest wherewith we would cause the weary to rest, but they would not hear. They would not hear. This is a rest that you can hear. This is the rest, wherewith he caused the weary to rest. So this is a refreshing, something you can hear. <clears throat> In the verse above, or well, with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people. Now what does he speak with stammering lips and another tongue? <coughs> what is it you see he
1: speaks?
0: Yeah. Yes, precept upon precept. What's this precept upon precept, line upon line, teaching now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, what does it say right here? Teaching about this rest, about refreshing. the
1: refreshing. Rain. Mm-hmm. Rain.
0: Yes, it's the latter rain. This is what the refreshing is, the latter rain. How you know the refreshing is the latter rain? What does the latter rain do to nature? It refreshes, it refreshes nature. Uh, after the former rain has germinated the seed and the seed has come up and made a, a good growth, and then your dry season sets in, and the ground dries up, and there's not enough moisture or nourishment at the roots, and then it's necessary for the Lord to send something more. I oh, was we going to say that. Also, really right page 86, there's a refreshing order. I'm going to read that, Gene, right there. Thank you. This is what we're going to read. And then you have Acts 3. What does Acts 3 tell us about the refreshing? The refreshing. It says now that in the times of, or the the refreshing that is to come from the presence of the Lord. And then it's in the times of restitution of all things. So the refreshing then is really to bring about the restitution of how much of all things. And Sister White says in Prophets and Kings, of every divine institution. What does that mean every divine institution everything was created in the Garden of Eden is to be brought back again during the time of the refreshing you see the times of the restitution of all things all right now this voice is speaking here with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people now the Pentecostals use this uh, verse um, they say this applies to them in their stammering tongue They're talking in gibberish, you know. Well, if you've ever heard them, uh, you know that you didn't hear many precepts or many lines that made any sense, make any sense at all. And they have to have an interpreter, and and the interpreter is the only one that can tell you what that individual is supposed to have said. So you're totally at the mercy of the interpreter. I went to one of these um, meetings one time, and uh, the the minister who was giving the study was dealing with a great chart on the wall, uh, teaching them from that chart about something. And all of a sudden, a sister sitting right across from me, she got the spirit. Mm-hmm. And she began to talk. So everybody got down on their knees and took their shoes off, except me and the fellow I was with. The fellow I was with. And uh, she... She carried on for quite a little while. All kinds of sounds, and mutterings, and just, just gibberish. And at the end, the sister sitting right next to me began to interpret it. I don't know whether it was all cut and dried or whether that's just the way the thing goes. But the interpretation was that she was praising the Lord and and telling about how the brother was teaching the truth and all such of things of as that's what they believe this verse applies to. But this says that he's going to speak with stammering lips in another tongue. Will he speak to this people? Now, what is he going to speak to this people? To whom he said, this is the rest. That's right. This is the kingdom. You see? This is the kingdom that God has promised to his people. God gave them a kingdom in the beginning. And they were to do the work that God gave them to do. And extend that kingdom all over the world, all over the face of the earth. That kingdom was to be extended. They didn't do it. Now the time has come to do it. So it's called the time of refreshing. The times of restitution of all things. In other words, what God started in the beginning and wasn't uh, and didn't finish, He's going to finish down here, and He's going to finish it through His people. That is the wonderful part about it. He's going to finish it through his people and thus give them the chance to finish their work. So he says, We all have time and chance. Now, as I read in the prayer reading uh, today, that we all have our work and we must see to it that we do it the best it can be done. This is what God is requiring of us to know what our work is and to do it the best it can be done. Now, when we have finished our work, whether we have gone all the way to the end or not, when we finished our part of the work, then we've done all we could do to promote this whole job that God gave man to do, that was to replenish the earth. Now, the message teaches us that the way we are to replenish the earth is through the gospel. That the gospel is to be preached to win many souls. Millions are born... But they have to be born again. And the sad part of it is that the millions who are born don't uh, realize this and they fail to be born again. So what happens to them? Well, they stay here and clutter up the face of the earth, have wars, all kinds of troubles and woes and wickedness. And they're all over everywhere just like the ants crawling on the surface. But God doesn't recognize them. He doesn't recognize that the earth is full of the faith that he intended it to be. He says the earth is empty. Earth is empty. Now uh, the, to, to people the earth, so it won't be empty, you have to make Christians. The gospel has to do its work. And what is the gospel said to be? This gospel of the kingdom. Well, if it's this gospel of the kingdom and God promised man a rest, where must the rest be? Got to be the kingdom. Well, this is the subject that uh, this one with stammering lips and another tongue was to open up to God's people. Uh, Sister White didn't have stammering lips and another tongue. And no one else has ever come along with stammering lips and another tongue and spoken to God's people this truth about the rest, the refreshing, and the kingdom. No one, except B.T. Hobbit. He's the only one, so far as history tells us, that has ever trodden this earth and spoken this message. And it had to be down here in the end time, and it had to be to the Laodicean church, God's church, so it's pretty easy to determine who's who. It doesn't leave us in any difficult position to put our finger upon who is this one that has the stammering lips and another tongue. Now he came with a Bulgarian tongue. When he tried to speak in English, he had stammering lips because he couldn't find the words. And as he, as he uh, learned the language and became more proficient at handling it, well, he stammered less than he did in the beginning. But every now and then in Mount, at Mount Carmel, in the pulpit, he would stop and he would look out and, and waiting for somebody to give him a word, well some of us who had been with him a long time would give him a word and push him along and he, he'd go again good well, maybe he'd come again to a a, a spot like that and uh, many people couldn't understand him because their ears were not adjusted or attuned to that uh, uh, to that uh, accent that Bulgarian accent another tongue but gradually he he worked on that and improved on that a lot. And so, uh, toward the end, it was much easier to understand. People who who uh, weren't uh, acquainted with his voice could better understand it than I could uh, Some 20 years before that, when I first heard him. And that was in San Diego, California, about 1931. <clears throat> That's around 1931. And I, I couldn't understand him. It was very difficult. But then when I went to work with him, then I learned to understand him better. So that, whatever, in fact, I could begin to read his mind almost because I I knew, I knew uh, from the tenor of his subject what he was uh, pointing toward. So then you could give him the word that he needed. This was a frequent occurrence. All right, so you can see now that God uh, wasn't unmindful of the fact that they hadn't entered into their rest, that uh, the race of Adam had not entered into their rest. So he, he made it clear through Paul that they hadn't entered into their rest and that there was yet a rest for the people of God. So now that great prophetic promise stood there all these years, 2,000 years almost, stood there uh, begging God's people to claim it. But they never did claim it. Now we come down to the end of time and they're going to have some people who are going to claim this promise. Hmm. They claim it. Now the ones that are going to claim it are those over here who hear these stammering lips and another tongue. Precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, and you hear a little and there, a little all the way through the book and through the testimonies too. And when it's all brought together, that's the, that, that is the composite truth of the kingdom. This is what we have. In all of its alignments, in all of its phases and aspects, this is what we have. Now, when are we going to enter our rest? Is when our work is done. Well, what's holding back the work then? Or what's holding back the rest? Put it that way. The work is holding back the rest. Now what's holding back to work? Well, I think I should read to you what's holding back to work. Uh, this is the symbolic code, volume 12, number 1, page 24, paragraph 1 and 2. Uh, the, he says this study that he has been given here, giving, he says, this tells uh, tells how Zion <coughs> is going to be founded the Lord is to accomplish it. From all appearances, it looks as though we are very, very close to the fulfillment of these prophecies. And this was written, this was written long time ago. November 1956. How many years ago was that? Twenty-three. Twenty-three years ago. And it looked as though it was very, very close to the fulfillment of these prophecies. Only one thing hinders it. It says it takes a, 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 a lot of expensive chariots and a lot of gasoline and you have to travel many miles, and it's hard work. I know, I, I can tell you from experience, you can run and run and run and run and think you'll find them home when you get there and they're not there. And maybe you go 50, 60 miles hunting for one. Run out of an hour one time, went down from Los Angeles to San Diego County, and went way back up in the mountains, in the Queer Mountains a good 60 or 70 miles back up in the mountain. And When we got up, then we came down a dirt road looking for this individual that was an Adventist. We got down to where they lived and wasn't home. <laughs> One time in Maine, another brother with me, we were out hunting and we had made this contact. They'd sent us this name and address from the office. And so we had driven down from Augusta, the capital of Maine, where we were lodging at the time and then going out in a radius of maybe 100 miles from there. We went down to this uh, town in Maine. I can't remember where it was now, but it was some 65, 75 miles, something like that. And uh, we made the contact with them and studied with them and made an appointment to return. Now this chap was a a builder uh, for the Adventists. And they spent their winters in Florida, and he would build churches for them down there and so on. And they were pretty prejudiced, but still they were willing for us to come back and, and lay more before them. So we made the appointment. And so uh, the day came, the next week we were to go back. So we got started around 5, 5.30 to get there in time. When we got there, the house was dark. Mm. Nobody there. They let us drive that 150 miles, had no conscience about it at all. This is what the hunting work entails and a lot more besides this. Now we sent Brother David to Africa here, uh, the fourth part of this year, and the poor fellow really had it rough down there where he was. Uh, Even the bandits attacked one night and they all had to run for the bush. And it wasn't very, comfortable for him, for he wasn't used to it. Trinidad is not just like the United States, but Trinidad is much more developed and much more, um, uh, 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 much more available by way of clothes and food and so on. But down there, it was, was not so. He, <laughs> I guess he didn't have a real square meal all the time he was there. But anyway, uh, he went down there to do hunting. And he hunted, and, well, he had some success. I don't know how it's going to turn out in the end. Well, this is the kind of work that we have to do. Now we've got, he's hunting, and we've got three or four others out there hunting. Brother Davis is hunting here. He had another young man with him, Brother Anderson's nephew, Mister Anderson's grandson, and uh, there are still others who are going around doing the best they can. These are the hunters. This is the work that God uh, is uh, promoting and uh, carrying on at the present time to find the individuals. How many? 144,000 plus any who uh, may be among the Gentiles who are in the church and will be sealed. Well, not to say that there won't be any, but there's only one numbered company, 144,000. All right, now... Coming back here to Isaiah 28. I want to reread verse 12. To whom he said, now this is his people. To whom this one with stammering lips and another tongue. To whom he said, this is the rest. Wherewith ye may cause the weary to rest. Now they're all weary. Jesus said, uh, speaking to the weary, Said, "Come unto me, and I'll give you rest." Well, he was talking about rest from sin. No question about that. That when we lay our burden upon the Lord, then we have rest from carrying that heavy burden. But that wasn't all that was involved. That's all it was. That was all we understood it included. But Jesus put into that word "rest" all that all the rest of us to be. Not only the rest from sin. But when finally the rest from sin is completed, then what are we going to have? Our own rest. And the message says that God will make a memorial to a, to to affirm the fact that we have entered into our rest. Now, what that memorial is going to be, we do not know. But when it's all over, he's going to make that memorial that is going to uh, be a, uh, an affirmation and also a confirmation of his word that we have entered into our rest. That'll be interesting. we want to see that. Now another uh, interesting point here that this one with stammering lips and another tongue has opened up the subject of the seven trumpets. And the message shows us how the seven trumpets in nature parallel the seven days of creation. In a way, I'm not going to go into that now, and also uh, the seven last plagues. Now, the Lord finished his work in this on the sixth day. The Bible shows that we finish our work under the sixth trumpet. This is what Revelation 10 11 show you. Or maybe I'll read it to you quickly here. Revelation 10, verse 7. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound... The mystery of God should be finished. As he had declared to his servants the prophets. Now chapter 11 verse 15. And the seventh angel sounded. This is the trumpet angel. And there were great voices in heaven saying. The kingdoms of this world. Are become the kingdoms of the Lord. Our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. What trumpet is this? The seventh. This is the end of it all. Now the seventh runs through the close of probation. That is, through the time of the seventh last plague. But the sixth trumpet ended the close of probation. And that ended man's work. See? That's what this shows you here. Now God ended his work in the sixth day. We ended our work in the sixth trumpet. Now it would be about 6,000 years. So Maybe these folk who believe that a day stands for one of those days stand for a thousand years are not so far off after all. And it's going to take us a thousand years for each day to do what God did in twenty four hours. Why? Because of sin, because of what happened in the Garden of Eden and disobedience to God's will. Now all that has to be overcome by the gospel make saints make saints out of sinners this is a very difficult thing it isn't hard to make human beings but it's hard to make saints out of human beings so when he gets down here to the end we'll have had millions and millions and millions of human beings made only to perish finally to be destroyed to be annihilated is that what the trumpet seat? To be annihilated Not only just destroyed here, but annihilated forever, you see. And only a little handful, comparatively, to be saved, uh, to enter into that rest with the Lord. That's a wonderful day coming. A great day for the righteous, a dreadful day for the wicked. Now the refreshing. The rest the refreshing. People have never conceived before that this rest was the refreshing. As a matter of fact, they've never understood completely what the refreshing was. In truth, the Adventists themselves don't realize what the refreshing is. We we've never known precisely what the refreshing refreshing comprehended. Now the statement that Jean referred to here on page eighty seven says, at that time the latter rain or refreshing from the presence of the Lord will come to give power to the loud voice of the third angel. Now, why does the refreshing come? To give power uh, and prepare the saints to stand in the period when the seven last plagues shall be poured out. Now, over here on page 277, (laughs) I saw angels hurrying to and fro in heaven, descending to the earth, and again ascending to heaven. Preparing for the fulfillment of some important event. What is this important event? Huh? Ezekiel 9. Well this is Ezekiel 9. The purification of the church. The setting up the kingdom. The loud cry. The beginning of the judgment of the living. And establishing God's people in their rest. Then it says. Then I saw another mighty angel. Commissioned to descend to the earth. To unite his voice. For the third angel and give power and force to his message. Now this says the latter rain or refreshing for the present of the Lord will come to give power to the loud voice of the third angel. So what do both of them do? Um, they both give power to the third angel. So what are they then? What what is What is the message of the loud cry? It's the refreshing. But when does the message of the loud cry come to the church? Does God wait until... Uh, the, uh, until the last sinner is eliminated, Well, uh, let me put it this way, until the last saint is sealed and then all the sinners are eliminated before he introduces us to the message of the loud cry, no. we wouldn't know what it was. Okay. We'd, he'd have to photograph it in our minds right away, and then we still wouldn't be ready because it's the message, working and living with the message, that developed the character to give the message finally. So you see, it was mandatory then that God give us the message beforehand. So he sent the messenger with stammering lips and another tongue to give the message. And the message was the refreshing, and that was the rest, wherewith it would cause the weary to rest. They said they wouldn't have it. Now you're living to see this prophecy fulfilled. They won't have the rest. Now, at the end of the refreshing, what happens? The kingdom is set up, and that's the rest. That's when we enter into our rest. We don't enter fully into it until the kingdom is set up. Now, I want to read you one or two statements here on this study uh, from the Code. This is a very impressive paragraph. This is page 14. This is symbolic code number 6. Symbolic code volume 11, number 6, page 14. Man was commanded to replenish the earth to bring forth children. He was to teach his children and convert them as soon as they have sufficient knowledge. And he was to wipe out wickedness. Now you see how far man's come short of doing this? Oh, have him come close to it. Wicked men do not perish forever from the earth until after the gospel has been preached. There is then a lesson in this that we should not fail to see, namely, that the slower you work in God's service, the greater the sorrow. The slower you work in God's service, the greater the sorrow. Now, you remember what I read here? Let us not spare ourselves, but carry forward in earnest the work of reform that must be done in our lives. Let us crucify self. The slower you work in God's service, the greater the sorrow. If the church had been faithful, much labor and means could have been saved. Therefore, many others have to be brought into the world to take the place of those lost. Tragic. And then, over here on page pages 16 and 17, God finished his work on the sixth day of creation. And man will finish his part of the work in the sixth trumpet. Just as God rested from his work on the seventh day, so man, in the seventh trumpet, you see how Beautiful this is. So man in the seventh trumpet, pardon me, so man in the seventh trumpet at the close of probation, when the gospel work is finished, will receive the rest of which Paul spoke. And this makes so much sense. You see Then, Now, in the sixth trumpet, he finishes his work, as God did in the sixth day. Now, at the end of the seventh, or end of the sixth trumpet, in the seventh trumpet, He rests just as God rested in the seventh day from his work. By this we see that it took God six days to do his work and it is taking man 6,000 years to do his. Then comes the millennium. All God's people are to keep the seventh day Sabbath in commemoration of the completion of God's work before they will receive the rest which they themselves have earned. To enter into their rest However, it requires faith and belief which our forefathers did not possess. It so they entered not in. And then another statement here this is on page 18 those who do not possess more faith and belief than their forefathers, who could not enter in because of their unbelief, will not be profited either. And this is the statement that I mentioned a while ago. After the close of probation, God is to make a memorial forever affirming that we have finished our work. And now in conclusion here from this last page, are you doing all you can to help replenish the earth with saints? Are you growing daily in faith? Now this is a terribly serious question. Are you growing daily in faith? Do you see that the just shall live by faith? Are you mixing faith also with corresponding works? Are you doing all you can to help replenish the earth with saints? Brethren, these questions are solemn ones, especially when one contemplates the thought that the only way we can really rejoice in God's creation is to have a part in it. Think of this. The only way we can really rejoice in God's creation is to have a part in it. So these folks that know not God or are disobeying God, they really do not uh, rejoice uh, in, in being here on earth. They can't. They have no part in extending the creation that God uh, left for them to do. It was for this very reason, born of God's everlasting love for man, that caused him to grant to man so great a part in establishing the world after his righteous order. And the Lord has given us in this day an accurate and reliable blueprint in his eleventh hour message that has come through stammering lips and another tongue, so that none of us need err in knowing how great a privilege We have to be a true witness for him in word, deed, and action. Let us not, therefore, put off the work and thus prolong the world's sorrow and suffering, but let each of us be among those who shall fulfill the purpose for which we were created, verily to help bring about complete and true rest and everlasting joy. God has faithful ones who will do it. Will you be one of them? Now, these are the solemn questions that come to us, especially this one of doing our work, that if God has called us and given us a work to do, and we fail to do it, not only do we uh, uh, cheat ourselves, but we cheat others, because our influence could have influenced them for the good. So if we are not what we should be, somebody else is going to suffer too besides ourselves. And I think of of the way the work crawls along as creeping, inching along like the inchworm, you know. And it can't be for any other reason than the opposite of this here. Let us not spare ourselves. We are sparing ourselves, but carry forward in earnest, and not carrying forward in earnest. The work of reform that must be done in our lives. Let us crucify self. This is the thing. If we crucify self, die to self, then the Lord is going to make our efforts efficacious. They're going to accomplish what uh, they, they are supposed to accomplish. We'll see the work speed up. I don't know what it's going to take to wake up most dividends. Got a letter here recently. I don't know who it was but. Uh, this person was speaking about and I don't need to know but um, said that supposed to be a good Davidian and uh, as they ate after they got done eating took two glasses of cold water and tossed them off you see that is as far away from the practice that the spirit of prophecy enjoins upon us as one can get better eat a piece of meat than do that a of meat's not going to hurt you half so much as that. And, uh, and I suppose this individual wouldn't touch a piece of meat. I toss off two glasses of cold water. It's bad enough to go out and get a glass of cold water from the refrigerator, I tell my boys, and put it down in your stomach and chill your stomach. It's not good to do it. And this very prophecy speaks against it. Now, if we can't come up on things like this, how are we ever going to come up on the big thing? What does Jeremiah say about it? You recall? Jeremiah the uh, Jeremiah twelve verse five, if thou hast run with the footmen, and they have wearied thee, then how canst thou contend with the horses? And if in the land of peace wherein thou trustedst, they weary thee, then how wilt thou do in the swelling of the Jordan? Well, if we can't, if we can't deny ourselves and crucify ourselves to all of these little things, these little foxes that eat the vines up, how are we going to stand then? And the swelling of the Jordan. And if if all Davidians would really get in earnest, as the statement said, really get in earnest and go down the the checklist to see how they are checking out against the standards of the message, then they would come up higher. You see? Or we wouldn't we would then observe how we talk, observe how we work, observe how we dress, and observe how we eat, and observe how we relate ourselves one to another. There's a great uh, expanse of, of room out there for us to come up upon. Much room for improvement. And as we get serious and earnest, crucify itself, what's God going to do? And God's going to work then. So folks, this, this is uh, Brother Ellis' is one to say this is an individual matter. The individual matter is right. But Brother Ellis has always got it twisted around so that it's an individual matter and in getting a message to the church. That is, if God's got a message, it's just an individual matter. Well, it is an individual matter. It is a, a very serious individual matter, but it's also a matter of getting the message to the whole church and being responsible for uh, the, the reformation that, that the message calls for. And now we are responsible for both. We're responsible for the reformation in our own lives, and that'll recommend it to others. If, if the church sees reformation reorganization in us, then we can go to them and talk reformation reorganization to them and revival. You have any thoughts about this? Uh, I only want to say that the work is plenty. The work is what? The work is splendid. plenty. Plenty. Well, the labor is a few. That's right. And uh, I'm wondering if laws and regulations of the land, laws of the states, uh, can really impede, or it does impede, whereby people to whom that um, have the ability would like to come to the, to the source where they can um, get to learn so that in return they can move out to, to scatter the leaves as it were as atom uh, people from places would like to come here to, to learn and to go back and to expound the people but the uh, cause of regulations of the law the government they can move as they wish and that, I think that helps to um, impede the work of God from going on as this wish. Well, the answer to your question is simple. The Bible says that, that we are to obey the, the powers that be. And uh, this book here tells us that we would soon be closed down when we disobey God. Uh, attitude Toward the Civil Authorities. Volume 6, page 394, paragraph 1. By some of our brethren, many things have been spoken and written that are interpreted as expressing antagonism to government and law. Well, this is the laws of the land. It is a mistake thus to lay ourselves open to misunderstanding. It is not wise to find fault continually with what is done by the rulers of government. It is not our work to attack individuals or institutions we should exercise great care lest we be understood as putting ourselves in opposition to the civil authorities it is true that our warfare is aggressive but our weapons are to be those found in a plain thus saith the lord our work is to prepare a people to stand in the great day of god we should not be turned aside to lines that will encourage controversy or arouse antagonism in those of our not of our faith. We should not work in a manner that will mark us as seeming to advocate treason. We should weed out from our writings and utterances every expression that, taken by itself, could be so misrepresented as to make it appear antagonistic to law and order. Everything should be carefully considered, lest we place ourselves on record as encouraging disloyalty to our country and its laws. We are not required to defy authorities. There will come a time when, because of our advocacy of Bible truth, we shall be treated as traitors. But let not this time be hastened by unadvised movements to stir up animosity and strife. Well, I think that's enough. The main the main statement here is we are not required to defy authority. Everything should be carefully considered unless we place ourselves on record as encouraging disloyalty to our country and its laws. Now, we're having a hard time in other countries. Much more difficult time than here. Uh, they can only go in for three or four weeks. This means that we lay out quite a, An expenditure of means to get them in and then they can only stay a short time now we never had this problem before but we have to respect the laws of these governments we can't do anything about it though it's a hardship upon us a real hardship financially now we sent Brother Brown from Trinidad over to St. Vincent and he went over with with uh, goods to help them because of the earthquake over there I mean the uh, the, the, uh, the eruption, the volcanic eruption. He went over with goods, and we've sent uh, quite a bit of goods since, that is, different Davidians, and sent money over there too. But they would only give him, uh, what they give him, four weeks or five weeks? Five weeks, I guess, it was. A month. A month. Gave him a month. Once upon a time, a Trinidadian could go into St. Vincent and stay forever, you know? Just like a Jamaican could go over to Grand Cayman and stay as long as he wanted, and vice versa. Now you can't do those things anymore. All right, so Brother Brown's work wasn't finished. It just started. So he went and appealed, or he was going to appeal, and he may not have gotten it, but he happened to meet somebody that, that one of the brethren knew, and this sister or this lady uh, worked it out for him so he could get another month. So he got two months. So we spent all that money for two months, and his work was not finished at the end. So then Brother David, stopped on his way back, and uh, it cost him a little bit. Uh, He was going to some of the other islands. It cost him a little bit more, but he got to stay for a few days, and this is the way we're having to work it. Now, when we sent the brethren from uh, Trinidad over to Jamaica, two of them, and they were working, and they were getting interest, but they couldn't stay. Uh, They went back to get an extension. They wouldn't give it to them. Had to go. All that money, the trip from uh, Trinidad, there, and all the expense there, and yet they couldn't stay. But Yet we have to respect the laws of the land, even though we don't we don't feel that the laws are just. You see, that's right. Don't feel they just. The world will always be but lagging. Yeah. Well, really, really, in one way, brother uh, Mackenzie, long, it, it, it really won't for this reason right. <laughs> that the Lord, the Lord knew all about this, yeah. see,
1: yeah.
0: and the. And all God's plan was predicated and built upon just what God saw would be right here now, the very thing that we have you see so uh, oh, oh, uh, the the work as god uh, is is uh Great is st- is structuring it and uh, carrying it forward takes into consideration these obstacles and hazards and impediments you see yeah. now the hunters have all this to meet up again now when brother. Uh, David landed in uh, what was the capital there in Africa where he was anyway where his plane landed he had to take another plane and I guess they spotted him right away that he wasn't uh Nigerian and so they came up started to bargain with him that if they give him so much he they would get him on that plane and this is the way they work it you know and uh, Fortunately, David stood his ground, and and well, uh, I gave up. But this is what they do: they'll uh, they'll get as much out of you as you can, as they can, and make it as tough for you as they can. And you may get there with your luggage, and you may not get there with your luggage. A lot of a lot of uh, difficulties involved. Now, uh, I used to be able to go into the Bahamas and stay as long as I wanted. They said, "How long do you want to stay?" I could say, "I could stay forever." It wouldn't bother me at all. Not today, you can't get over there now. No, you can't get there unless you got a pocket full of money and you go over there to drop that money. You go as, a, as a, a American tourist or some tourist and you want to go for two or three months and you got a roll of money and you got to declare how much you got, they'll let you stay. But you don't dare open your mouth and say that you're going over there as a minister. They won't let you come. And if you say you're going as a visitor and you've got no money, they say, well, "What are you going to <laughs> what's going to sustain you while you're here? We don't want to have to be burdened with you, and that way that's the way it is in Jamaica, Trinidad, and everywhere else. Yeah. In one way you can't blame them. it makes it rough. But if we were if we were to disregard the law in any phase, we would soon be apprehended God would see to that because God has bid us not to do that. And if we're apprehended, they'll close us down. The time will come when the, I'm sure, that the authorities will come down on us anyway. They'll come down they'll on us, us anyway. Can, and if we don't have a clean record, it's going to be just that much tougher. So all these things are tested by faith and not God because yeah, in God's right. right. us, God. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I don't like it when I have to, uh, when they require me to have a vaccination or something like that. I, th- I think that's wrong. But they require it. So if I have to have it, I have to have it. Some people have gotten around it in different ways, at least they think they have. But well, I've not tried to do that. Uh, they require the vaccination, I get the vaccination. Trust me. They'll right run away from it. <laughs> well, they, they'll, they'll take the vaccination, and then they'll try to suck it out or do something else, you know, to get it out of their arm. Well, there are different things they try. <laughs> I say I've never never resorted to anything like that because I, I don't like it. I don't want to do it. I don't voluntarily do it. And if they require me to do it, then God will take care of me. Now, when I got to Jamaica from British Guyana, this was, oh, I don't know, maybe five, six years ago. I was by myself that time. And I knew that I was all right going from here to Jamaica. But I didn't know that they had put Guyana on the black list. You see, that there was a, I guess there was a small outbreak of, of um, smallpox. So if you came from Guyana and hadn't had a vaccination right away, they put you in the pest house over there in Jamaica. Well, because I was an American, they just pulled me out of line along with a number of others. And we had to go through the, the um, I don't know what to call it. It wasn't, it was something like customs, but it was the investigation, you know. And then they, they gave you an order to go to the, what do they call it, infirmary hospital or something where they take care of all these things. The next day, well, yes, it was where all the hospital buildings were there. And we went the next day. I think Brother Edwards took us. Went the next day, had to sit there for two hours waiting for the doctor to come. There'd been a little flooding up in the the interior where he came from and he couldn't get down so fast, so I had to sit there for a couple hours waiting for him. And... uh, he asked me some questions and told me to watch it carefully, and, and that was about all. But was a nuisance, and they they stood upon that that order. Well, I didn't like it, but I had to conform to it, and I had to be uh, I had to be uh, peaceful about it, or I'd have gotten myself into more trouble. They'd have put me there right in that uh, place, and I'd, I had to stay until they fumigated me. Good, you see. <laughs> Do you have anything else? Anybody? Brother Anderson? No, I was just thinking the, the way this work is our work is finished. Paul speaks of it as a foolishness of preaching. Oh yes, right. Foolishness of preaching. That's what it's going to be. Foolishness of preaching. That's the way they regard it. Oh. Mr. Anderson? No, I think she made a
1: statement today that um, it wasn't like preaching but Unless so the the answer of the spirit. But the early writing says that uh, not so much by right, argument wasn't it wasn't preaching but argument. Right. But, uh, but I wouldn't correct
0: her. Right. That's right. Mister mm-hmm. Perry, you have any thoughts? None? Dean? Mm-hmm. You folks? <coughs> Jim? You see this? Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You all familiar with this? Well, I was I was doing some work in in that new book I have today. I was copying some quotations in the front of it, and I left out a letter. And I thought, look at this! Uh, I have messed this up bad. It's just going to look bad forever and ever. And I thought and thought, what can I do? So I got my racer out and tried to race it, but it wouldn't race. It wouldn't ball and worse than ballpoint and it just was there. And I thought, well, if I mark over it it's still going to be bad. And I sat there thinking things said, uh oh, look at this what I got. So I took out my little bottle and I put it on that black mark, we all disappeared. And I wrote on over it and no one would ever know it, you see. And now this is what the Lord uses. This is what Malachi tells us. He's going to white out our sins and make them white as can be. Now, we fall into sin. What do we what do we do? We ask the Lord to put some of this on and cover it all up so God doesn't see it at all. That's actually what God does. Now it's the blood of Christ that does this work. This is this is called liquid paper, it's a correction fluid. I don't know just what they have in it. But it won't do what the blood of Christ will do. This will only take out a black mark or or something that you, some error you made, some mistake on a piece of paper. But the blood of Christ will take it out of our soul, cover it up. And if we we keep ourselves in his hands, it'll stay covered up. This is the marvelous part about it. It'll stay covered up. Actually removes it, you see, until finally that thing that caused this error is gone from us. Or by grace, we've overcome it. So this is what we need to carry with us. We need to carry with us this little bottle, figurative of the blood of Christ, constantly. And this is what's going to keep us of the race. If we don't have it, we're going to be in trouble. Our sins will accumulate. When we come to the judgment, there'll be a whole long list of sins that's never forgiven, never confessed and never forgiven. that'll be a tragic day. This is what happened to them, as it says, when they didn't enter into the, into the rest that God had for them. So folks, let us keep this in mind, to be acutely conscious of this fact all the time, that as we retain justification, we won't sin, but if we do fall into sin, then we have an advocate. For the right. All right, let us kneel.
1: Father, we thank you for the time
0: we spent here this afternoon. We pray that I would help us to remember the things we have heard. Yes, Lord. We dismiss us with Thy blessings. We pray this for Jesus'
1: sake. Amen. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening. This has been a production of the Davidian Seventh Day Adventist Association. You can find us online at www.bayshenhill.org. And you can call us at 417 835